This is really about being free to create what you want your life to look like. We each are our own hero. And how do we take the challenges that come our way and see those as the birth process of us becoming heroic? Can you meet that judgment that ultimately will surface with neutrality? This is the Wall Street Coach Podcast with Kim Ann Curtin. Hi, everybody. So glad you're all here. Thanks for showing up today. What we're going to do today, guys, is a repeat. Uh, TraderConfessions.com is the website, and that is where you can sign up for some free gifts from me and from JJ and from Ray. So Fabian, today is Trader Confessions. Uh, JJ, Ray, uh, and I have put together some free gifts on TraderConfessions.com. And we're here basically to be a contribution to the listeners. So uh, sorry for all the tech stuff, guys, but I'm sure we'll get to the bottom of it sooner or later. Um, is there something that you want to just get speed coached on, Fabian? Hopefully from JJ as well, if we can get his, uh, you know, him participating. Um, is there anything you want to bring to this conversation today? That's a sort of traitor confession. Sure. Excellent. Yeah, actually, actually I do. Um, last time that I was in the spaces, you uh, uh, led me to do some homework, and I needed to fail at uh, ten things um, as a homework because I'm used to no, I'm not used to failing. So the uh, the right. homework was to was to fail at ten different things. So I have to say that I didn't do my homework because technically it's difficult for me, <laughs> and I, I'm going to explain why. Um, when I do something, I go all in. So, for example, if I say I'm gonna I'm gonna go for a run every day this week at six six a.m., I'm doing it, and failing is not an option. Uh, so it's, it's it's the way I'm wired. So I'm I'm wired different. So I was talking to my wife and talking about the homework, and she says, "But why don't you just go and fail at something?" And and, and I said, "Well, because." that wouldn't solve the problem because if I just go and fail at something, it means that I don't care. So I, I wouldn't care not su succeeding at something. And when I do something, it's not that I uh, necessarily want to succeed at that something, uh, but at least I'm going to do it with all my heart until that desire is gone. So uh, failing or not failing is not even the question. It's not even the matter. So, um, but what I did to um, improve my uh, not getting used to not losing and trying to um, overcome this um, over trading and revenge trading that I face in the markets is um, I removed my margin. So I did something bold. I removed my margin four months ago. And instead of trading, I just watched the, the markets all day long. And I didn't trade at all. So uh, two days ago, I um, asked my margin to, to be set again. And so far, I'm green these two last days, uh, yesterday and today. So I guess I, at least I removed my desire for revenge in the markets. Okay. I hear you, Fabian, of course. Uh I'll be curious what JJ has to say. He just went out of the room to try to come back in to see if we could get him, you know, to speak. But the first thing I think that I want to speak to, uh, 
and 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 play play with you a little. This is a playful response, okay? You did fail. You failed doing your homework. So well done. <laughs> That's correct. <laughs> so well done. Here's the thing. It isn't about failing for failure's sake. The reason I gave you that homework was because often we attach our value to our success, our value to winning. And that could get in the way for all of us in life, never mind in trading. The, the reason I wanted you to get comfortable with failure is specifically because I want you to be comfortable with hum your humanity because you're going to always be human. You're going to always be fallible. That is part of being human, part of living. And I want you to start to get comfortable with the humanity side of yourself because that means you'll be comfortable. Not, you know, you're not going to want to, you know, potentially take it out for a long walk at night, but you're going to be able to be with the part parts of yourself that you don't want to be with, which is what failure brings up, that you're human, that you're fallible. So I'm so glad you're here, JJ. Hey. So glad you come back and you're at home. How you doing? Great. Aloha. <laughs> I don't know. This, uh... Aloha. Oh, my Aloha. God. Oh, the tech. The tech is killing that me. That was this so afternoon. hard. I'm so sorry. Good grief. I'm so sorry. I, I, just, it's I apologize, just, it just, There's glitches in Twitter. Don't. I don't even think it's your fault. I truly think there's some glitches in Twitter that just are, they're still working out the kinks. So I'm just so glad you're here. So, so here's, here's the long and the short. I'm going to give you a abbreviated version. Good Fabian story. was on our last Trader Confessions call okay. and I gave him a homework assignment to fail 10 times. And he came in today and said, I didn't do the homework because I don't want to fail. And I don't like to fail. And I don't think that'll solve the problem. So I just gave him my two cents. What's your two cents? You, I think, are muted, JJ. The mic on the bottom oh, left. Oh, can you hear me now? There you go. Yep. There we go. Crystal clear. Okay. I, I come in from the complete different angle on this because I failed at a lot of things in my life. So, and I've never been a perfectionist. And one of the things that I, I know as a trader that I'm going to have to admit I'm wrong probably 10 or 15 times during the day, maybe even more. And the only thing that's kept me alive is the, the ability to admit I'm wrong and get the hell out of a bad situation quickly. Um, and, and that is something that I've really, really, um, I, I see a lot of people struggle with that. Um, you know, I, I have friends of mine who are PhDs and they're very highly intelligent people, engineers, software engineers, and they, they just blew me in away in school and things like that. But, in trading, they had a hard time admitting that they were wrong or a hard time failing. Me, a lot of the stuff I tried when I was a young kid, I failed at. I failed exams. I failed this. I didn't make the football team. You know, all of these things. Right? So it was like, okay, you know, this is going to take some time. And this is really hard now. I've been in the business since 1993. So it's completely – I'm kind of raised in a different – 
um, environment than retail traders. You know, I, I come from a place where I've seen brokerage firms fail. I've seen clearing houses fail. Uh, you know, I've seen, uh, I, I've seen traders blow up, you know, take down brokerage firms, like massive, huge losses, you know, into the tens and twenties and 50, hundred million dollar kind of losses. So, you know, we learn very quickly on the other side to admit you're wrong. Uh, another thing too, in a lot of these big firms, uh, a lot of firms are, if a trader gets into trouble, they'll take that position away from that trader and give it to someone who's not emotionally attached to it. Does that kind of make sense? Mm. Right? It so, makes total sense to me. Fabe, yeah. Fabe, are you still here? Yes, I'm here. I'm yeah. here. How, does yeah, that, I, how does that land, what JJ is sharing? I, absolutely. Actually, um, uh, the, that one thing, uh, that one bold thing that I did was to remove my margin so that I don't revenge trade and try to force trades that yeah. don't exist. And in a sense, uh, that's what JJ is, is talking about. Right. So they have somebody else that removes their uh, buying power. Yeah. So that's what I did for myself. Now, and the other thing too is a lot of the times we get into trades and a lot of people don't know this because they really don't understand that there is a business agenda that's moving the chart that you're trading, right? There are people who are moving the chart to accomplish an agenda and that's why price is moving. Sometimes we have no business being in the market. Sometimes when the markets are choppy, sometimes when they're indecisive, there is something that is going on and a lot of people can't recognize what's going on and they just jump in there blindly and they're trading it based on a moving average or whatever the case may be. And that's fine. I'm not bashing that. But I think if you understand things like inventory, where the stops are, just simple mechanics of how the business works and why. See, a lot of people forget it's a market. And what, what, is the, what is the goal of a market? A market is to buy a bunch of cheap crap, mark it up, and sell it higher for profit, right? Whatever kind of market you're in, stock market, futures market, whether you're selling rugs or wigs or spices or whatever, right? You buy it in bulk, you mark it up, and you sell it. And that's what's going on in these markets every single day. And a lot of people don't even understand that. And they find themselves trading and revenge trading and boredom trading and all of these things that they go through because they don't have a fundamental understanding of why price moves, right? Everybody, you know, and the people who say that it's random or, you know, you really can't tell what's going on in market have just immediately showed you they have no clue what's going on in markets, Right. None of this is random. If you put $10 billion on a table, trust me, nothing is random about it, right? When there's a lot of money at stake, nothing is random. Every war is won before it's fought. Such a good point. I think so powerful. Thank you so much, Fabian, for coming and asking that. Yeah, thank you. you. Great question and putting it forward. Uh, JJ, uh, how, I'm just curious, like, as you speak, what, what you just said says to me that this sense of it, like I can't help but think of the Godfather movie, right? That, <laughs> that scene where he says to him, it's not personal, it's business. Oh, yeah. It, right? It's, it, and that it's is what business. I feel like you're trying to say to traders. Yeah, it's, it's you're it, saying like, 
guys, you're yeah. taking it personally. This is not personal. It's and it's, it's, it's hard not to if you don't have any exposure to that. So that's why I feel for retail traders. And I have a lot of respect for retail traders and people who trade retail because they're basically, they're out there and it's trench warfare out there. And the guys on the other side have ICBMs and tanks and missile launchers and automatic weapons. And you're out there with a plastic fork. Or I mean a plastic spoon. You don't even have a fork, right? <laughs> so people have to revenge, like realize if you're a retail trader, you're basically a scra- you're a scavenger. We are going and scavenging and trying to take money out of a business where there are billions and trillions of dollars transacting. So we should know why the price is moving so we can trade on the right side of it. That's why we're, you know, that's we'll keep from buying dips when inventory is selling off and there's supply above us. Simple things like supply and demand are really, really not really taught. Um, and retail people, you know, the charting and everything's great, but you got to understand that before moving averages and, and pivot points and market profile, how did people trade for 300 years before the invention of the microchip, right? They had a golf pencil and a pad of paper, right? And maybe they had a 15-minute delayed ticker. How the hell do you trade on that? Right? You observe price at a level and you see how price reacts at that level to see whether it's buying or selling at that level. Right, and, and that's we need to know where the buying and selling is in a market so we can get in front of it right? because we don't have the ability to move the market. And there's also times when those large traders are working out a level or something where we have no business being in the market because we're just going to get chopped up. Right? And a lot of folks don't understand that you know, there is sometimes where they, you know, that's why they say be patient, but they never tell you why you need to be patient. You need to be patient while the large prop traders, mm-hmm. wholesalers are putting together their position. And once they're done putting their position together, it's like, you know, if you own a convenience store, it's like these guys are going to Costco to get cheap product. And then they're going to take that cheap car product and mark it up and sell it to whoever's going to buy it. Right. So all of these things yeah. are, yeah, you know, they're like Kim's great because she brings the, the, the psychology of it. And I'm, I'm a mechanic. Like I, my, my job is to get in there and, and, you know, my whole job was forensic trading, building short squeezes and selling hundreds of millions of shares for people who invested in the companies or in early stage investors to get them liquid. So I have a deep understanding of the mechanics, the clearing system, how markets work, how to create a short squeeze, all of this crazy stuff. And that's what I try and teach everybody, you know, with, you know, with Ray and stuff like that to, you know, help them, then, then you can add your charts and all of that. Once you understand the motivation and the agenda, because make no mistake, there is an agenda. There is an agenda. Every day that these things trade, whatever you're trading, the people who have the size have an agenda to either move that, get rid of it, park it somewhere. There's always something going on and that, that business is constantly evolving. And then it, it, it depends on the order flow that comes in that allows them to accomplish their agenda. But JJ, you have much more than just the technical lot, you know, knowledge. And while that's foundational and a non-negotiable and incredible uh, benefit to everybody that you advise, you also though have that you have done so much work on your self-awareness and your <laughs> knowledge that the <laughs> ego can get 
in the way. And oh, that God. is the most, I mean, it's the ego that's the biggest enemy of it every is. trader. It is. It's the ego and it's yourself. Because retail trading is the hardest thing I've ever done because you can't cheat. You know, there's you just cannot cheat. Like in the old days, if I took a trade, right, and I lost 10,000 bucks on the trade desk, say I was trading my own account, I'd call up my one of my market makers and go, hey, can you put up 10 for me? And because I give this guy, you know, like $4 million in order flow every month, he's like, 10 grand? Yeah, sure, I'll take. So they take the bad trade and eat it. So that's cheating, right? So when I came into retail, I had no discipline, right? I had no discipline. And then all of that stuff, like your demons, who you are, what you're worried about, all of that just comes breaking out, right? So, and I'm still working on that every day, right? That, that, that part of, of, of retail trading, it, it's like a marathon that never ends, you know? <laughs> That's why we're glad we have you. I think it's, it's, <laughs> well, you're very kind. I, I just think that the heart of this conversation, and if you guys are enjoying this conversation, please be sure to tweet it out to your followers to, uh, you know, get those who are on Twitter right now able to be part of this amazing conversation, especially with JJ's incredible vault of knowledge. I mean, he has paid the piper more than once to get, to get this education that he has now. And uh, so please do tweet, tweet it out. And if you haven't gone to traderconfessions.com and sign up for the free gifts, you have two incredible videos in there from JJ and a couple of things from me, the Wall Street coach. So please sign up there. But the thing that's most pronounced to me, JJ, that I'm hearing today thanks to Fabian's question, is that this, I I think it, what can easily happen because people give this so much time, those who really are serious about trading, it becomes your whole life, like your whole extension yeah. of yourself. It becomes you. And that, while I completely can understand that, I can also see how that can blind you to think that it's about you as opposed to it's oh, yeah. like this moving epic waterfall that doesn't really see you and that's yeah. part like do you see what i'm saying it's like oh, yeah. it's not about you it's about no. this and you have yeah. to do you see what i mean oh definitely you know and it's 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 very easy to kind of lose sight of that because you get wrapped up so much in your PNL and the mistakes you made. Yeah. You know, if you're, I've seen people on a winning streak who just, you know, I, I had these, you know, if you guys have ever seen the Wolf of Wall Street, there was a, a girlfriend and boyfriend team who worked for that firm. And then they were stock promoters and they ran a boiler room in, in Miami. And this was in the late nineties and they would make every morning, they would sell two to $300,000 worth of stock because their boiler room would bring in buying and they'd sell stock. And then like clockwork, these two knuckleheads would, because they were a little, a little nuts, they would try and retail trade <laughs> Amazon or one of the high flyers, you know, the late nineties. And they would lose at least 150 grand every morning and give it back. Right now they didn't care because companies kept giving them free stock because they were promoting and they always had income. Right. right? So, but they were just, you know, I'd see this and I'd be like, 
you know, I'd be like, Jesus, you know, the guy used to call, call himself Florida. And uh, because, you know, he was banned from trading. And so he was trading under a fake name. Of course, my boss, you know, and we were like, oh, like my brokerage firm was like the Oakland Raiders in the 70s. Every banned illegal arms dealer, <laughs> trader, stock promoter, um, you know, you know, ex-dictator from, they all traded through my firm, right? So like, all, you know, all my, oh my clients God. made Motley Lex Luthor. Oh God. Oh yeah. It was just like, they made Lex Luthor look like a nice guy. Right. So, uh, you know, so I'd watch these guys and I, and I never forgot that, you know, because they make all this money like before eight 30 in the morning. And then by noon, they'd given back half of it, you know? And so I'd see things like this. And when I started retail trading, I was like, okay, don't be like these two knuckleheads. Right. And, you know, but it took long. It like, I started totally. retail trading in 2012 after my heart attack. And I didn't really figure out a lot of stuff for the first three or four years it took because, you know, it, I just had to muddle my way through it. And, and uh, luckily I'm cheap, so I didn't lose a lot of money, um, you know, because a lot of times <laughs> I, I just, you know, because if I can't figure it something out, I'm just not going to trade it, right? I'll sit and watch until I yeah. figure it out, yeah. right? Um, so we, that's we how, have that's, a question requested. Sure, please. And I, and I want to take his question, but... Right before I take that question, when when you first started to answer Fabian's, you know, commentary about the concept of failure and how you didn't come to trading with some of the baggage that you saw, if I remember what you said specifically, you said some of these guys were coming in from, you know, college or academia where they, they had to get the A, they had to win. Just talk yeah. a little bit about how you could see the benefit like to me that was your greatest strength that you weren't afraid to fail and aren't still afraid to fail just talk a little more oh, no, about I, 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 your question. you know i i make mistakes every day i fail every day right and i'm comfortable with that because it's part of the learning process and i was never i was always the the guy who was like the class clown goofing off so i never pulled straight a's right uh, I never, the only time I did pull like a almost like perfect GPA was when I was at UH, uh, you know, in Manoa there, like, you know, the University of Hawaii that one year. But um, that, you know, because I buckled down and I studied, but I've never expected to be good at something the first time I tried it, right? It's just, that's just me, right? So I always came into that, like, this is going to be hard. Right. And, you know, and then once you start, you know, when I, when I started retail trading, I was like, oh, man, this thing's moving around a lot. What the hell's going on? So I would just sit and watch and watch and watch. And 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 I think because I've been around so many great traders coming up, like people who could move markets literally and and just had so much skill and knowledge that I had that humility to know that that I didn't have that skill and that I would have to develop that skill. Right. Yeah. What do you feel? Let me, let me take this gentleman's question. Sure. Sure. And then we'll come back. Okay. Please. Let me, cause Please he's do. been waiting since yeah. the very oh, yeah. beginning. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, so rose colored glasses, you are, you should be live. So please, what's your question for either JJ or for me? Hey JJ, you already know who this is. Hey brother. How you doing? I'm great, man. And one thing I'll tell you, Right now that I'm starting my new job and I'm in pre-trade, I actually talked to the head of directors of the trading floor 
he's an old army guy himself. Um, nice. We were just talking, and he was like, Mick, like, how did you get so knowledgeable about this? And I told him about you. And there's one thing that, that, like, stood out when JJ taught me that made me really see clear as day, right? Um, and he told me to pause. He said, stop trading and learn the business, Mick. Stop doing everything. And this is way before I even accepted a job anywhere near Wall Street. And I did that for a summer, and I learned the business model of the ES with JJ every single day. And when I did that, I learned two valuable lessons. I learned the purpose of the market in general translates no matter where you're at. You just got to be on the right side of the agenda. And the quicker you, the quicker you cut that thousand lot trade um, because you're on the wrong side of the agenda, the, the easier it is to let go of it. Um, the second thing I learned was always use protection. And in this world, protection doesn't look, doesn't have a stop. Like in the world I'm at now, protection is like, if you're not making money on this trade, you better be making double amount of money on the other side of that trade, which is the hedge. Um, so mm. like the one thing that I will tell people who are listening is like, if you just go into the, and I'm not, I'm not even in the room anymore because I don't have time in the day. Um, but like, and, if you and just, probably compliance too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a big issue with that. But if you do listen to JJ, just go in there, take notes, and you know, stop trading. And like, the one thing I realized is emotions aren't a thing if you know what the business is. It's like if you take this as a true business and a profession, like there is no emotions, and that was easy for me to do, which I totally understand. It's harder for others, but due to my background, I totally get it. Um, JJ, going forward, like, my question to you would be, you know, like, trying to trade multiple markets um, that are going, that have a thousand different variables with it, like, what recommendations do you have? Um, find somebody, if you're trading different markets, attach yourself to somebody who knows each market inside and out, right? So if you're trading... Like, you know, say you're trading like um, uh, Japanese warrants or something on that desk. Go and sit and listen to the trader on that desk. See how his, de you know, his desk relationships. See what he knows about that market because they'll know, right? Like, say you're on a currency desk and they know that some central bank, you know, will come in at a certain hour and start selling, you know, uh, dollar yen or something like that. Or if you're on a bond desk and they know something, like attach yourself to the person who really, really, really knows that market and suck their brain dry. Get as much information out of them as you can, right? Uh, that sounds good yeah. because like what I'm learning is like every market has a thousand different clients to it and oh, you better God, know yeah. each client and like it's freaking insane the amount. Like, I wish I could just come back to the room and trade with you guys. <laughs> so it oh, seems man. so much easier I, I, now that I'm on the I, other side. Oh, I, I love that you're on the other side. I'm so jealous. You know, I, I, I do miss being on a desk. I know the thing, you know, it's different now. And you can't, you know, pull practical jokes on people and stuff like that anymore. But, uh, man, that is, I am so proud of you for getting on, on these desks. It's it's so great, brother. It's uh, Hey, thanks yeah. a lot. Right now I'm pre-trade, so I deal with a lot of client activity, but, like, yeah. that's my first year rotation. And then yeah. coming on, I was told, like, learn every market you can because the numbers are big, the clients are worldwide, and you yeah. better figure out what you're going to put it in. Yeah. And you know what? And there's, there is, if 
don't, you know, one thing I learned about with clients, if, if you don't understand what's going on with that client and, you know, say you don't want to say you don't know what's going on, go to your boss and go, he asked me a question. I have no idea what the hell this guy's talking about. Or go to the senior trader or something like that and ask uh, instead of trying to make up an answer, right? Just, you know, because they will appreciate that. You might get reamed out, like, you know, like you don't know that, right? And that's cool, but at least, you know, they will respect you for not trying to make yourself, make something up out of it, right? Absolutely. And I'll leave it off with everybody listening. Like, I'm serious, like, the best $50 I spend a month, and I'm a witness to his room. Like, I went in there for a full summer and fall, and he saw me transition. He saw me trade. He saw my account. I started with $50. I stopped. I lost that $50. I said, JJ, I'm doing something wrong. He said, stop and observe. Journal every single 30 minutes. What it's doing, all that stuff. Learn the market. I put $50 in three months later, and I traded that $50 from a discounted broker, and I turned that thing into over, it's at like 12000 right now, but I had to cut the account because of the new job. You know, so like going in with the attitude not to make money, but to learn. Yeah. Thanks, brother. It's good. Good to hear your voice. Same with you, bud. JJ, JJ, what do you feel are the three biggest issues sophisticated traders bump into? The three biggest issues. Um, number one is, um, I, I'd say risk, right? Uh, the concept of, of not putting it money at risk when you don't know what you're doing. Uh, that's number one. Uh, number two is um, definitely over trading, you know. Um, and, and number three is really not understanding the business that moves the chart that we're trading. I, I think those are, those are really big issues. When people start... When, when I show them, hey, you know, this is what's going on right now, they'll be like, oh, okay. Right? Nobody ever said that before. And I find that really, you know, kind of interesting that there's a lot of these trading rooms and trading places and educational people that, that don't teach people why a chart's moving, right? And if, if you kind of understand how, you know, how the, the cake is baked and how it's made, Gives you a little, you know, then you won't go reaching into the oven before the cake's baked, right? And burn your hands, right? So I, I think those are kind of the things. Number one is risk. And and my whole thing is this whole retail trading thing, it's all about keeping your money intact until you actually know what you're doing so you can actually use your money intelligently and make good business decisions, right? That, that's the hardest environment thing. With, with all the you know, with the transition that's happened these last few months, what is your advice to those sophisticated traders who perhaps, you know, did all that work, right? And now they're looking at a very different environment. When you're a sophisticated trader who's seeing the market change, how do you still honor that concept of risk like you're speaking about? Size down. You have to size down. If you're sophisticated and markets are changing, because markets will always change. They change as the agenda of the size traders who move them change, right? Right now we have, you know, we went from 4,800 in the S&P, um, you know, all the way down to what, 30, under 3,700. That's a huge move, 
right? And we were telling people in our room in October and November that the market was going to come off after the first of the year because it had been marked up on no supply. Then as soon as we started taking out swing lows, we had supply above us and the market completely changed the way it traded over from the last 18 months. And I even found it like, I, I noticed that markets will change week to week sometimes, you know, and every couple of days, the, the price action will change and the way things move and the reaction at levels will change. You've got to size down. Um, you know, I'm, you know, you, you have to size down if you're a sophisticated trader, cut your risk and, and sometimes spend time watching and seeing what transpires. And then you'll be like, Oh, okay, this is what's happening. And, what I find, and, and I get into trouble to tell people not to trade a lot, right? Because people are like, oh, you're trading, you know, you run a trading room. You should be telling people to trade. I'm like, no, listen, you know, sometimes if you sit and watch a market objectively without the weight of a position on your head, number one, you take that bias away that you're going to be taught. You're going to be like thinking about your position and whether it's making money and you're going to be biased because your position has to make money. Right. So if you can sit and objectively look at things, the information will soak in a little easier. You won't be as stressed out. So when you actually see it clearly, the trades you take will will actually be better. Like when I start trading every morning, I do the 7.30 a.m. London uh, pre-open for, for the London Open and we do it on Zoom. I always just trade one or two micros just to see whether my brain is working, whether I'm seeing the order flow, mm. if I'm if I'm trading too early, all of that stuff. So I'll just trade cheap, right? If I lose 15, 20 bucks, then I know, eh, you know, I'm not really quite on the ball yet. You know, maybe I haven't, you know, maybe I didn't sleep enough. Maybe I haven't, you know, and then I'll, I'll so slowly get into it. There's never any rush because there's, there's going to be millions of trades. So there's never any rush. And if you miss a trade, big deal. It's like missing a subway. There's always going to be another one, right? And you got to remember, it's not like yep. the circus. It's not going to fold up and go to another town. It's good. The market's going to be there tomorrow, tonight. You know, <laughs> it's not going anywhere, right? It's a circus that never leaves town. <laughs> <laughs> if you guys are enjoying this conversation with me and JJ, please be sure to tweet it out to your followers to bring more people into this room to get this man's incredibly uh, expensive education. He has paid so many prices for his education. And so you don't have to. And do sign up for our uh, information. There's a market profile training from JJ. Uh, it's a video on our TraderConfessions.com website. And you'll get that and some free uh, tools for me as well. So JJ, we do have a request to someone else to ask for some input. Sure. I'm going to add them as a speaker now. Cruz, can you uh, let us know your question? How are you doing today? Oh, hey guys. I think I think it, it like muted real quick when you put me on. But um, what's up, guys? Uh, JJ, Kim, appreciate you guys. I was actually uh, a member in JJ's room for a little bit, and I soaked in all the uh, the knowledge and everything in there. Uh, but I just have a like, and it's absolutely awesome the the mindset and everything the the way that you guys look at stuff. But um, your the way that you're looking at things is very much equity derived. So my question is more: it seems like nowadays that derivative market is driving the equity market more, and how much weight you put in that, and if you believe that to be true or not. 
I, geez, great question. And I don't even think about those things. Um, because what I am is I'm a pure price action structure inventory trader. So what I do is I just is say if I'm trading the ES and the only thing I do trade is the ES. So, and, and that's the, you know, the, the futures on the S&P 500. So I only look at the price action, the, vol the, you know, the inventory, all of that stuff in that ES. I don't try and correlate markets or try and derive what's going to happen, you know, from one market to another. Um, I'm very, very simplistic in my in my outlook you know like right now you know we we did a look above 4136 fail so i'm looking for a little liquidation and i came up with some levels you know i found a little bit of a balance over the last three days and you know if we break out uh you know from that balance you know i've got targets to the upside and downside and i'll trade those accordingly so i don't have a macro view i don't have like uh, those kinds of views because uh, because of my age and because of my health, I close out my positions every day so I can sleep at night. So not, not really the best guy to ask that question. We have, um, you know, folks in our room who actually have, you know, one of our guys just sold a massive, massive prop partnership. Um, and, you know, we could have him reach out to you if you want that question answered. Um, but that's that's not something I'm I'm equipped to answer. Cool. No, no worries. Like I said, I just wanted you kind of like your personal outlook on it. Because, like for example, today, like our our big um, put open interest was at four hundred eight on the spy, right? And is it coincidence that we you know we closed right above it today? So, um, okay. and then it it does correlate like you know quite a bit to the way that you look at things. So. Oh, okay. So, yeah, no. Nice. So, yeah, see, no problem. Yeah, I never got into the whole options, um, you know, the data that options gives, but w we do have people who can help with that if, you know, if you reach out. Be happy to help out. Thank cool. you, Thank Cruz, you. for your question. Really appreciate it. Um, Good to see. We have a follow-up, looks like, uh, from Fabian here, who's... Uh, our first question, so I'm going to add you on. And if anybody else has any question for JJ or me or Pound Mindset, uh, we would love to take those on. I'm going to add you now, Fabian, so hopefully that'll work. Hi. Um, uh, thanks again, Kim. And I only wanted to say thank you for, the, uh, to be a delay. for your book. Yeah. I'm enjoying it a lot. And the question is uh, for uh -huh. JJ thanks. is... Uh, is there a way to know the historic float on a ticker? Um, the way to know the float? The historic float. The historic float. Aha, great question. Okay, let me kind of, I'll, I'll explain how that works. When you take a company public, right, an equity, right, the investors who have the initial stock take that stock and deposit it into their brokerage firms, which then deposit it into the depository trust clearing system through the clearing systems nominee called Seed and Company, C-E-D-E and Co. So when a company first goes public, there'll be an initial amount of stock in DTC or in the clearing system. As time goes by, companies will do financings, issue S8 stock or employee compensation stock, all of these things, and the float will grow over time. So the only way to find out how to get 
the initial first deposit into the clearing system is to access what we call the security position reports from the company. And I don't think I have ever in my taking 200 companies public um, have ever seen um, shareholders or the retail public ever get access to those. It's called a DTC sheet, which is a colloquialism and the other thing, but it's called a security position report. And it tells you where all the stock is in the clearing system. So it'll say Bank of America has 5 million shares. and Boston Safe has this amount or Pershing has this amount or Goldman has clearing has this amount. And it's broken down into which clearing firm hold positions. And you would have to get the initial one that was, that was you know, made when the company initially went public and put it in, in their stock into the system. Okay, thanks a lot. No problem. Oh, another way thanks you could so look at Fabian. that. Oh, sorry. Another reason, another way you can kind of get an approximation, Fabian, is if you're looking at a public company, look at their original SB2 filing, right? Look at their original SB2. It'll say the amount of capital stock that, that you know, investors are going to resell. And then you can look at Yahoo financing and see what the current float is and work your way back. Awesome. That's great. JJ, what have you seen by way? And just a friendly reminder, if you guys want to raise your hand to address a mindset issue, uh, please just put up a little request and I'll get you in to talk to JJ uh, and or me. Um, what I'm just kind of curious, JJ, the last couple of months, what, what do you feel uh, is the hardest uh, thing like you said, sometimes I say things like even don't trade and that gets people annoyed or frustrated. Like they're like a gas that I may recommend some cases best not to trade. What's another piece of advice or wisdom that you kind of are scratching your head? Like how come people uh, don't listen to that, especially in these last few months with all that's going on? Is there another piece of advice that people seem to resist? Yeah. Yeah, the the piece of advice is to not get um, sort of don't get starry eyed about price action, uh, because remember that it's a market, right? And how do you advertise to get people into a market? You take price higher, right? So that gets people, you know, people will follow price, you know, just like, you know, I I, I when I worked in nightclubs, right? I'd go to the nightclub at nine you know, open the doors at 10 o'clock, we'd start a lineup. Even if there's nobody in the club, we'd start a lineup and people would start lining up. Right. <laughs> and, and yep. so, you know, you got to be careful. These ranges are very, very big because we don't have investment money in this market right now. This market is driven by momentum traders with ridiculous amounts of money and even more ridiculous amounts of credit. So they can move price astronomically because most of the supply is locked up with the big money managers like BlackRock and and so on, you know, who hold, you know, like if you got a billion shares of Apple, they're not actively trading that back and forth. It's kind of in a vault collecting dust. And so these companies will move ridiculous amounts like 5% on very little volume because the markets are kind of a liquid. So, 
you know, there is a volatility that is here now where people, where you really can't trust moves so much. So I would say you got to be a little bit, a little bit paranoid. That doesn't hurt, you know, uh, be a little yeah. bit paranoid. Yeah. Um, and, and always remember that you're in for trading most like you're not going to be trading for three months and retire, right? Trading is, is going to take, you know, it's especially if you're doing this and, and most people realize this by now, they tried it, they lose some money and they go, Oh, you know what? It's a job, you know, it's a, it's like you're small business operators and you're going to be doing this for a while. So preserve your capital. And if at times you don't know what's going on, don't execute. Right. And especially yeah. in markets yeah. that have big ranges, you should always be thinking about your risk and always know when you get into a trade, it's like when you get onto a plane and the stewardess tells you where the exits are, know where the exits are if your trade doesn't start going the right way. Always think about the yeah. exit and your contingency plan, not about how much money you're going to make. Right. Uh, yeah. always, always, always have an exit so you know where that exit is and be prepared, you know, to bail on that trade so it doesn't, you know, eat you alive. That's, you know, I did a, I was very fortunate to do a talk uh, for the money show. Thanks mm -hmm. to all of your introduction. So thank you for that. They were wonderful to work with, by the way. Um, and that's I all Steve. Specifically... <laughs> It was, so, it was, Steve's amazing. Steve's amazing. He is, he is, he is. Mr. Connector. He is the connector no of connectors. Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. He's just the best. Um, he, so, so we talked, ultimately, the conversation was how, what you're speaking to here, like, if you're getting into a trade, don't be attached to it, know what the exits are. And one of the things that I, you know, try to put in front of every client is a universal needs list because often what I see, JJ, is that a client isn't getting a need of their theirs met in their personal life or in their professional life. And mm -hmm. then they try to get that need met in their trading or their investing. Yeah. Yeah. No, and that's, and that's so definitely costly. That, oh God. Yeah. I mean, if, if you have a need for action, uh, go take up base jumping or dirt bike riding or something like that, right? Exactly. If don't don't try and, and and get, you know, don't try and get your kicks in the market, right? Um, you know, and if one thing I, I will tell people, and you know, until you become consistently good at this, profitable and become have that professional mindset. If you're upset about something, if you are freaked out about something, if you've got a bill that you need to pay, if there's stress on top of your head, it's going to make retail trading even harder. And it takes time, and it's easy to say, oh, you should just trade anyway, right? But it takes time before people, um, you know, uh, you know, develop that skill of being a professional, right? Um, yeah. You know, so if you were having a tough day, like say you had a big argument with your girlfriend or your wife and you sit down in front of that computer, you might not be thinking clearly, right? And you might not be able to separate work from that, right? So 
when if you're in times of emotional distress, like we have one of our members who who trades like multiple multiple funded accounts, really good trader, and he he's in the room like you know he's he's like an eighteen hour a day guy. His dog died, uh, you know, about a month ago, and he was really attached to this dog, and he was grieving. So he actually did the right thing, and he didn't trade, you know. Um, Thank God. Thank yeah. God. Yeah. Yeah. I, I see that often with traders, even experienced, sophisticated traders will, you know, I one gal that I wound up coaching had uh, been like kind of a weekend warrior. She was, you know, did those like parachute jumps, uh, oh, rock yeah. climbing without being harnessed in, but she Good hadn't boy. been able to do that during the pandemic. And so she came to the conversation I'm taking unusual amounts of risk in my trading. I don't know why. And then, of course, as we started to talk, it became apparent her need for adventure was not getting met in her day-to-day life anymore. So she was trying to get it met in her trading account, which would make total sense. Yeah. But that's not the place you want to go get adventure met. <laughs> oh, God, no, no, no. And, you know, the other thing is, one, one thing I will say, now, I, I do have... Um, a different perspective because I was, when I was a young kid, the guys who taught me were these savage, ruthlessly cheap old men. You know, guys who would make, <laughs> who were worth 400, 500, 600 million dollars, but they took the bus to work. You know, and they bought their suits like three three for $99 kind of thing. Right? And their their houses, their houses were decorated in the 1960s and they wouldn't let their wives update the furniture. And, you know, they, they still drove like they were so cheap, right? They charge you for photocopying and they charge you like, you might make that from 200, 300 grand a month in commissions, but, or even 5 million in commissions, but you had to pay for coffee. So, you know, oh <laughs> you know, so be cheap. Yeah. Be like that. Be ruthlessly cheap when it comes to your stops yeah. and it comes to your capital, right? <laughs> it can only help. For sure. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Okay. We're going to add Chris. He's been waiting patiently. What's your question for either JJ or me? How are you, Chris? Glad you're here. Oh, hey. <laughs> How are y'all doing? Good. Doing good. How are you? What's your question, Chris? Good. So um, I don't know how much you look at the metals market much, but I was wondering if maybe you could shine a little bit of light on the disparity between like how the world and the central banks and everybody's investing for the most part in the U.S. dollar, and then you have gold where it is like a reserve currency, um, or not a currency, but you know what I mean. It's a place where it's like a safe haven, and it goes up and it makes sense, and then it goes down. It's like okay, that doesn't make as much sense. So I was wondering if maybe you could kind of make some sense of that a little bit, like when you're looking at more of a long-term bias. Um, oh gosh, um, I wish I wish I could shed some light on that. Gold is something that I've never traded. Um, I've 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 you know mined for gold. I've I've um, you know I've I've funded companies that mined for gold, but I've actually never traded the gold market, so or the futures market. So I'm really not um, you know. Um, I, I don't have the knowledge to answer that question, unfortunately. Um, we should get like a macro person on on one of the one of these uh, spaces things, Kim, and that would 
yeah, probably yeah. help. But we'll that one's that. above my we'll that one's above my pay, pay grade, that's definitely. Yeah. <laughs> no problem, no problem. We got lots of questions here. We're gonna go to Zap nine nine nine. I'm gonna add you as a speaker. What's your question, Zap? Hello, this is Seth. Can you hear Hello. We can hear you now. Oh, cool. Awesome. Thank you, guys. JJ, it's Seth from The Room. Kim, I really appreciate everything you do. I follow you, and you've been a super huge help for me. Um, keeping in line with the theme of the mental game that this Twitter space is about, um, the self-doubt thing is something that gets me a lot you know what i mean and like you know i'll get in a trade or and i'll be and i'll sometimes i'll tell myself oh man you're just lucky you know that that was just luck that wasn't skill it's like that negativity that negative voice in my head that i don't know if you guys have any things or exercises or or something to kind of try and like just kind of quiet down that you know, that bad wolf talking inside of you. Yeah. JT, do you, do you want to speak I, to first? Um, I, I can only tell you from my experience, when I started retail trading, it was probably one of the lowest points of my life. I um, had just had a heart attack, died, come back to life, had a yeah. quintuple bypass, my best friend in the entire world, who was my business partner, stole $20 million from me. And I just tangled with the, the Securities and Exchange Commission, and my wife was ready to leave me. So I had a huge problem wow. with, with like self-worth. And, you know, and I was in the top 10 traders at one time. So going from that to having to you know, basically scrounge around for a job. Um, you know, it was, it was really hard. So I've been there and I understand what that's like. And even to this day, sometimes I still have to deal with that negative thing in your head. Like you don't deserve this or you, your time, you know, you were on top and now it's gone. You, you just, you know what, just get pissed off and fight against that Mm -hmm. because you are worth it. And you do deserve it. And, you know, if you take a good trade and it works out, it's because you laid the foundation for that. You know, so just, uh, I, I know it's really hard. Now, I'm not a professional when it comes to psychology, and Kim can probably help much more with this. But I know from my own experience that I, I, I you know, I, I totally get where you're coming from because I've been there. Yeah. You know, um, you know and, and, and a couple of times, too, because when, um, you know, after 9-11, too, you know, I, I went from being in the top 10 traders in, in the city to, you know, I had a Porsche, I had two Porsches and a penthouse. And after 9-11, I was, you know, taking the bus, living above an Irish bar, right? And uh, the only guy who would hire me uh, was this promoter who looked like Colonel Sanders. And, you know, it was, <laughs> you know, it was brutal, right? Because White suit, my, my, White suit and everything? Oh, God. Oh, this guy, he was just a character, right? You know, but because my boss had got arrested for trading for the mob, everybody thought I was dirty, too, so nobody would touch me, right? So I, I had to scavenge work wherever I could. I'd take the bus 
And so I, I know what that's like. I've been down a couple of times and, and, and it's never easy, but just keep, just keep fighting through that, you know, and, and Kim probably has way better advice than that. I think it's great advice. And I'll just throw a book your way too, Seth. I muted your mic just because there was some background noise, but feel free to come back on if that is lowered. I, I would say, Seth, take a look at a great book, simple book called Taming Your Gremlin. And that book is just very valuable about identifying that internal saboteur, internal gremlin that does have a tendency to tell you, you know, nothing you ever do is good enough. Uh, I think the trick, especially in trading, is it's a razor's edge between confidence that's appropriately uh, earned around your strategy and that delicate balance of hubris, right? So on one hand, I want to say, good for you that you aren't getting too big for your britches, right? Other people could have the opposite challenge where they're like, oh, it's just me. I'm so smart. I actually am a master of this market. That is just as dangerous as thinking you don't know anything. But they are both the extremes of two places. And what I'd love you to come into is a place of neutrality where you have an appropriate confidence that you've earned because you spent the screen time or the time studying your patterns and getting the evidence and then learning how to calm down those inner gremlins that make you doubt that obviously earned uh, perspective that you did just make a good trade. It's just that delicate balance between those two places. But that book has helped a lot of people, certainly helped me personally, tame my gremlins internally. So does that help, Zeth? That's great. Yeah, that's that's super awesome. I'm going to check it out for real, definitely. I, yeah, I'm trying to stay neutral, you know. I'm trying not to celebrate too hard when I win, you know what I mean? But, but also but this is the same, not try to beat but this myself is the same up thing. too much. Don't beat yourself yeah. up because if beating yourself up is the place you go, then that's the evidence that there's an inner gremlin who is trying to make you feel questioned that which you have earned the right you know, here's yeah. the thing. We don't, uh, are, are, we are worthy. Our worthiness can't be earned, right? Ever. It's a birthright. We each are worthy simply of love and belonging. We're always worthy of that. But when you are a trader, you do have to earn the right to trade. You do have to earn the, the education to trade a, a specific way or multiple ways. That does have to be earned. The challenge is most traders will collapse earning that uh, right to trade to be, you know, good at it, so to speak, with their self-worth. And that's the, the problem. They don't go together. Earning your self-worth can't be earned. But earning your, your right to trade confidently does have to be earned. But they are different. So just make sure they're not completed for you. That's awesome. Thank you guys so much. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Stay in touch. Let me know how that book goes. I will. Okay. We're going to have you come in and then we're going to wrap it up. Last, uh, before we take this last question, please, if you haven't signed up for Trader Confessions, please do. You'll get a great trader tool from JJ. And I have two uh, 
tools in there, a trader check-in for you guys to kind of check in where you are emotionally or psychologically before you jump into the market, as well as a pre-market checklist that, again, lets you just make sure that you're not doing like JJ said, coming in, having had a fight with somebody and trying to, you know, get your, you know, cup filled of respect as you sit down to be in the market to make sure you get you get into it as neutral as possible so if you haven't signed up for that go to traderconfessions.com please do um i'm going to take this question now from shankopotamus i think is your name <laughs> what's your question shankopotamus You want to unmute yourself to ask that question. I'm sorry. How about that? Thank you. Uh, That's okay. JJ. Perfect. Appreciate sure. you guys uh, putting this yeah. together. And it's uh, a uh, privilege to say thank you, JJ. Your uh, your concepts have really played a big part in tra turning my trading around, especially around inventory and liquidity and understanding the business of how uh, the business of how the charts are made. So big, big thank you to that. Uh, especially the first interview you did with uh, Kim. I think it was the very first one. I still go back and, and listen to that. But at any rate, my question now is kind of I've gone from just a developing trader to really having my own edge, my own system, and, and being consistent. And now my biggest problem is is uh, not being wrong but being early. And kind of question for both of you, Kim, from a psychological standpoint, you know, just comments on that where you know you're right and you're proven right almost every time but you're early, so you're wrong, or you get too big, you get front side, mm -hmm. and then, you know, maybe for JJ, did you, or do you still fight with that? I fight with being early every day. That That is my biggest problem. I'm always early, and my being early comes from, it when I, when I was on the trade desk, um, if you didn't answer the phone on the first ring, you were fired, and if you took longer than 30 seconds to do a trade, now I'm talking phone trades where you pick up the phone and you hit a market maker. If it took you longer than 30 to 40 seconds, you started to lose clients and you were fired. Um, the other thing is I used to have my first client was a Swiss banker who would like, he would literally, he would wake me up at three in the morning screaming his orders at me. So he would scream at me because uh, I would have to get on the phone and get a fill while he was on the other line and report the fill to him. And if it wasn't fast enough, oh my God, god so i learned to be very very quick and that has really been a problem in retail because sometimes i'll jump in too quick get stopped out and then the trade will work out because i haven't let you know i haven't let the size traders do their business enough and they haven't put the position together and i'm early because I'm always taught to get the jump on everything. So I always have to hold myself back a little bit. Then I hold myself back too much and I miss the trade. So finding that balance is something I'm, I've, you know, and, and it'll change depending on the price action. Like just as you're getting, you just as you're getting in the groove of timing, the price action will change and you have to start all over again. So I know exactly what you're doing, what you're going through with that. And that is, and in those situations, because I will always test myself, and then if I find that I'm jumping in too early, I will always, like those early trades that I take every morning or as soon as I sit down and start trading, it's all about size. So I'll always test the market with a micro or two 
So if I do screw it up, the losses are very, very manageable, right? And then if I find out that I'm doing that, like say I take three or four, if say I take three stops in a row, right? I get stopped out three times and then the trade works out. Then I know it also depends on the time that you're trading. Like if you're trading in Globex at two or three in the morning, it's going to take longer for those hmm. those moves to play out because there's less people to participate to give order flow to the size traders so they can work their agenda, right? Yeah, that makes so, sense. You know, so, you know, a lot of that is time of day too. So you think, you know, is it the time of day? Is there a lot of people around? What's the volume? Um, you know, how's the price moving? You know, you open up a time and sales, not to look at the time and sales, but use it as a speedometer to see how fast the market's moving. And if it's moving real slow, you might have to wait a little bit, right? And it and it's 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 that execution part is kind of a lifelong thing because just as soon as you get in the groove with the price action, the agenda changes and the price action changes, right? And we have to adapt all the time, right? So I hope that helps. Yeah. And and don't you know and uh, always. Try and when you notice that, because once you start becoming seasoned, you'll understand and you'll see the price action changing. So size down until you kind of got the rhythm. Yeah, thanks. That's something I've been doing is uh, starting in absolute tiny size. And, uh, you know, as a yeah. predominant large cap, you know, short seller, I'll scale in kind of exponentially. Yeah. So if I'm wrong, I'm bringing my average up. But then I leave, yeah. you know, a third of my size for the backside when I'm right and just trying yeah. to average into that top. But uh, good to know the. Right. Experienced guys still right. still uh, struggling. Yeah, yeah, and if, the other thing too is if you're trading equities, you can watch the time and sales because the prints will tell you a lot. That's what right? I do. If you're a short, yeah, if you're a short seller and they're price improving off the bid, you know that they're working orders underneath, right? Mm -hmm. So you know if you, if somebody hits the bid and the bid's five and it prints five five hundred one five hundred two, they're price improving, which means you've got size behind it. I think I'm just going to add uh, something that's kind of just from watching. Did you see that movie, The Big Short? Mm -hmm. Of course. Who hasn't? All right. <laughs> okay. So, you know, you're watching Michael Barr. He's the character that, you know, his, he's being, the, what's the actor's name who's playing him? You're watching him be early, basically. We're, we're, we're watching the pain of his, he, oh he knows what he knows. He is correct, but he's early. And he keeps walking out of that office every day, putting that negative blah, yeah. blah, blah percentage up on the whiteboard. So being early can kill people. Like mm -hmm. he, he was so lucky. He was right. But he was early. He clearly wasn't too early because it worked out for him, but could have easily gotten the other way. So I don't think that is, you know, you're conscious of it. That is half the battle. Be conscious of it, but also look at the fact that if you, you're right now, am I correct from what you said at the start, is that you're, you're not getting in. Are you not getting in or are you getting too early? You're getting in too early. Uh, yeah, first, uh, I usually well, well, I'm, I'm usually starting in early and then usually scaling a little bit too quick to where by the time the trade's really starting to take the turn I'm 
I'm kind of at full size and I haven't given myself enough wiggle room. So lately, you know, I'm, I'm leaving some 30% of max size where, you know what, I'm not going to touch that unless I absolutely have to, to add later and, and hopefully add on the backside. But uh, usually it's, I'm right. And I'm just not being patient enough. Like he said, and, and something JJ so, said made sense to me was let the, let the, the big money do their business and don't try to get squashed while they do it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would also recommend perhaps you start to really journal and track exactly how you feel and what happens when you listen to it and when you don't start to just watch that nuance because this is the part that, you know, look, it takes time, but I really advocate traders start to tune in to those emotions because that emotion is ultimately going to be your friend if you learn how to listen to it. There's, but you got to track it, you got to test it, you got to push and pull. What is that capability? There is an inner knowing that comes from thousands of hours and thousands of screen uh, eyeballs on the screen and the wisdom that you continue to gather. But that has to be integrated. And so track it. When you didn't do what you thought you should have, what happened? And when you do it, what were the variables? You want to look at all those so that you can kind of see what is going on for you about that hesitation maybe the hesitation is appropriate maybe it isn't maybe it's your gremlin that's me uh putting doubt in your head but understanding and being self-aware helps you pull those apart and know oh this is actually appropriate caution or oh this is my gremlin having me uh over question myself yeah thank you yeah those are that's a I, I journal, of course, but maybe not to that extent. And that's something I just need to work on. But, uh, yeah, thank just, you both. Just because this is so important to you and it's your, you know, the question you bring me forward, I would say definitely track all of that, what's going on for you. And, and like, have that checklist for yourself. Are you, are you checking all the boxes of what your strategy says has to be paid, uh, present and what JJ's suggesting? And if all of those variables are there, then why should there be hesitation? Maybe that is an inner gremlin. And I would get curious about that then. Yeah. And read that book too, because it's such a great book. And yeah, I think I'm reading. Cover that, that I'm reading book. Jared's book right now, you know, The Mental Game. But uh, yeah, thank you both. And uh, just last thing, JJ, I would love to uh, buy you a virtual. Oh, you got I, cut I'm off. Sorry. Say that again. You got cut off. Oh, we lost him. He wants to buy you a virtual something. I don't know what. I'm thinking it's a virtual cup of coffee. Shake Potamus, you got cut off, so maybe you don't have a good connection. But you can they can DM you, right? JJ? DM me anytime. Oh yeah. Okay. All right, Shake Potamus, I'm hoping you're getting him like a, a double latte or something. You want to send him something virtual, you said. You got cut off. Take care. Yeah, my, my uh, mic uh, broke with, uh, yeah, I'll send you a Starbucks gift card, but uh, I'd love to oh, talk shop. Thank, thank you so much. Yeah, That's take care. Good. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you, appreciate it. Okay, we're going to call it a day because we've gotten so much time out of you, JJ. I thank you so much for being here. And how's Ray oh, doing pleasure. in his poker tournament? Clearly, 
he's doing pretty good or he would have yeah, been there, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's. Yeah, I didn't know he was in a tournament, so that's good. I wish him all the luck. That, that's a... Me too, so, me too. Sp- Spidey, yeah. I, I, Spidey has one question. Would you mind? Oh, sure. Oh, yeah. yeah. Question? Uh, I'm up I'm anyway. I, I had a big cup of coffee You're... earlier, so I'm not sleeping for a while. You did. <laughs> all right, <laughs> Spidey, you get your last question for JJ and me. Hopefully, your mute will not be uh, muted. Your mic will not be muted. What's your question, Spidey? Hey, um, good afternoon again. Uh, great space thus far. Um, before I even ask my question, I just want to say thank you to JJ um, for actually answering a DM of mine um, a couple of uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, so th- my question really um, more so hovers around. And JJ, I know you just said this a couple of minutes ago. Um, in regards to manufacturing short squeezes and and so forth, right? Um, so I, I know there's a lot of data, right, that retail traders have access to, Ortex um, and various platforms. Um, but I, I was hoping if you could kind of expand on the mechanics of how you would, in your former life, put together these types of short squeezes. Um, sure. And, and just kind of shed some light there. I'd appreciate that. Thank you. No problem. Um, generally, what we would do is, you know, a, a short a, a, a stock will, you know, th- there's a couple of reasons to squeeze a stock. One is the company wants to move the price higher to do a financing, um, or it's been uh, the victim of a predatory lender that has depressed the price by short selling. Um, so the way that you set up a short squeeze is um, first you have to make sure that you have all the supply in hand. So the insiders um, have to agree to lock up their stock. Now, this is a bit where it gets a little contentious and you know collusion and all those sorts of things. It still happens, obviously. Um, you know, the insiders will you know have sort of a gentleman's agreement where they will not sell or they'll sell all at the same time. They'll sell together. So that's number one. The other thing, too, is what you'll do is what I used to do is, you know, say we took a stock from five to seven dollars and we, you know, we saw that there's a seller at seven, six. And we used to do this, too, and we had a lot more retail shorts because regulation SHO didn't exist between after, you know, before 2005. So what we would do is I would sell the stock down from six down to three. Right. And by doing that, I would be selling the insider stock. So remember, they have a cost basis around maybe, you know, a penny or a nickel or 50 cents. So we sell the stock down and it's still, you know, it's still making the money. But what we do is we use that money, right? And we've, we've built sort of a big box of cash. And that box of cash now we'll use to start acquiring and soaking up all the supply at three. And then what I'd usually do is we'd send out, you know, there'd be some sort of a rumor that, you know, oh, this company's in distress or something like that. And we'd try and induce short selling. And that would get people to start selling short at three. And we'd buy up all of that supply. So we'd own not only the long paper that sold out, but we buy up all that short position. And then that's when gaps to the upside come. So once we'd have everything, we'd take our time and drag it out. And we'd 
you know, take maybe two, three weeks and acquire and keep the stock stable between three fifty and four, maybe, maybe three to four dollars, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth in that chop, and just vacuum up every single position that we could, keeping very close track on it using what we call the DTC sheets, right, or those security position reports, and we'd make sure that we had all the supply, right? And then we'd say close the stock at $4 one day. The next morning I would get up, you know, very, very early, tell my market makers to move the hell out of the way, and I would start moving the stock up in the pre-market. And say we closed it at 350 well, in the pre-market I'd take it up to maybe 450 and we'd open it, 450 to five and there'd be a gap right and now i've got people trapped short under the open right there's no supply there's there's that's why a gap up means that there's there's a lack of supply a short position and then i just cut the supply because we own it all and then we open it at five they go to buy in at 550 you know and i'll sell them the minimum move the offers up because i am the offer Right, and I'll just keep moving it up five, six, seven, eight, nine, and start buying people in along the way. Right after two or three days, when they fail to deliver, you go and you buy them in. So that's basically what it is. It's it's the restriction of supply. No, awesome, and that was a uh, fantastic um, example of the plumbing. So I'm like, while you're talking, I'm jotting some of the stuff down. Right. So. The other follow-up question that I would have is what's the, and again, with your experience, right? You have these different platforms. Again, I'll use Ortex because that's the one that pops into my mind where they talk about, um, you know, the amount of shares that are on loan. Again, thinking that all the shares are, are going to, again, not be there. So preventing the shorts from being able to continue to push this price down. Um, do you think those things for retail traders help or hurt um, in these situations as far as identifying short squeezes? Or do you think those platforms are, in a sense, used to maybe trap some retail I, traders and know, make them bag holders? I, I really am very wary of these platforms because unless you have access to a company's security position reports, or what we used to call in the old days, the DTC sheets, it's very hard to know what has actually been loaned out truthfully, right? And what has been, it's, it's, it's kind of tough information to get. I'm surprised that these places are saying that it's public. The best way to find out if there's a short position is to look at a chart, right? If you see all of the supply, like if you look at a stock and you can see that it's traded under $5 for three months, and then it makes a move higher. The supply is under five, right? The, the best way to look at this stuff is through price action and through um, looking at the chart to see when the market goes down, where the short sellers will come and bid, that support, that, that will tell you that there are shorts trapped underneath a certain level. Uh, I show this in the TPO or structural charts or market profile charts really, really help because they show things like single prints, um, you know, in a distribution profile, which shows you that shorts are trapped or longs are trapped. And like for in the S&P right now, in the ES, we have nine short positions underneath us. That's why the market is having a hell of a time breaking 4080 or 4076, 
because there's so many people trapped short over the last two weeks that every time the market comes down there, there's responsive buying because the shorts are always Johnny on the spot, ready to buy first because they're trapped underneath. So that's the easiest, most objective and cheapest way to find out where there are short positions or not by how something trades. Because a lot of the times people will be conned into thinking that there is a short position, but it's actually the insiders who are shorting against their own position, which shows up as a short position, but it's a covered short position because they're shorting against their position um, for a number of different reasons, right? And uh, if you read uh, the securities filings on a stock and if you look at some of the registration statements, you'll see something called the plan of distribution. Uh, people should read that and see how the insiders are allowed to short against their positions or enter in short sales contracts uh, to distribute their stock. It's something not a lot of people talk about, but I mean, I used to sell stock for a living, right? And um, so that that's just one of those things that a lot of people aren't really told about. No, and I, I unbelievable um, how you just kind of led me down this this hole to my next question, right? Um, because oh, I'm my, a huge proponent. Yes. Go, go ahead, Jay. Are you okay to stay longer? If, if I, 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 I'm, I'm fine. Okay. I'm fine. I'm fine. My girlfriend okay. is asleep. Okay, I'm fine. fine. I'm all good. Yeah. All right. I, I promise all right. you. I promise you. This is the last question. Um, okay. Don't worry about it. So I'm a huge proponent for reading the filings, and trust me when I tell you when I started on this journey. Um, difficult as it is to read through some of the legal jargon and, and just all of these different things. So I know you just talked about the plan of distribution, right? In these, so quick and easy, is this stuff like, again, for taking a company public, for restricting the amount of shares that there are so you can create a market, is that spelled out in the filings or is it at least hidden somewhere in the filings to where- No, that, that, you, those are discussions that, that the insiders- they they will meet and discuss how they are going to distribute this stock, right? That, okay. You know, that, that is something that we're not privy to, um, you know, because you got to remember the people who fund these companies, right? The, going public for them, you know, the stock market is an exit strategy. It is a liquidation creation strategy. So the smart money who funded these companies in early stage can get out of their investment into the, the, into the, the retail flow, right? That, that's how, you know, an IPO is. So the, the nature of those discussions, how they enter into short sale agreements with broker dealers, how they, they loan out their stock, all of those things we're not privy to um, as retail traders. That's why, uh, you know, it's great to read the filings and do all of that sort of thing, but it depends on what kind of trading you're doing now. If you're looking for a, sh if you're a short seller and you're trying to short long term and you're looking for supply like financings or convertible debt, you know where there's where they're creating stock or large assets like you know if you looked at PLTR for the last year, how they had an assate the size you know that could choke a dinosaur, so they were selling free stock into the float every single day, um, you know things like that you would see. Um, you know, and then you could ride the short down. So it all depends on what kind of trading and time frame. You know, if you're day trading shorts, you know, I would stick more to price action and charting 
because reading those filings is hugely time consuming. But if you're a position short that, you know, if you're managing a fair amount of money and you're taking a view that this company is going to whiff on its earnings or it's, you know, it's, it's, it's not spending its money judiciously or there's some sort of weird fraud in accounting or something like that, that's another story, right? Um, but you can spend a lot of time reading these SEC filings and things like that. And it may not necessarily help you, you know, in trading uh, because that's more about price action and supply and demand, right? Does that make sense? Uh, I had to mute him because it's uh, almost the top of the hour and I'm oh, going to have it. to go. So, got it. But we will. Your wisdom knows no end, JJ. You have so much. It's like a vault. It's like this big, crazy vault inside of like Mauna Kea. I got a head full of useless information. So, no, I don't think it's useless, my friend. <laughs> it is not useless. It is, it is, I mean, I could just feel his excitement, Spidey's excitement. He was like, You have given me the keys to the kingdom. <laughs> and, you, and a lot of people say that to you, JJ. A lot of people say that to you all the time. And I just also appreciate the mindset and the wisdom you've had and the journey you've had on that emotional intelligence side. Like it just speaks volumes about you. You're truly a Renaissance man. You really are, JJ. Thanks, sister. Really appreciate that. It's the truth. It's the truth. Well, we did way longer than I expected, but when you get JJ, it's hard to let him go. So thank you. We're sending lots of good juju to Ray, who was going to be part of this call today, but is uh, in the midst of probably kicking ass in a poker tournament. So he's uh, going to probably make some uh, good, some money on his Let's hope so. And, uh, We'll do this again soon. Please remember, guys, if you haven't signed up for TraderConfessions.com, JJ has a market profile training there for you. It's a video. And I have a trader check-in and a trader checklist for your EQ side uh, so that you go into the market as emotionally intelligent as you can be. We will wrap it up there. Please spread the word if you like this, guys. And then let us know, and we will do it again. JJ, it's always a pleasure. Always Thank a you pleasure. so much, Kim. Mahalo, thank you so mahalo. Much. Thank you so much. Right. Mahalo to you. And and of course, you still remember Ahoy Ho. So I'll say Ahoy Ho to you. Until <laughs> right. right, we meet again. Night. Okay. Until, definitely. All Thanks, right, everyone. Too, All right. This is the Wall Street Coach Podcast with Kim Ann Curtin. You can download Kim's free ebook, Discipline and Finding Your Edge, at TraderDiscipline.com. And learn more about working with Kim and her team at TheWallStreetCoach.com. And if you're feeling generous, please leave a rating and review wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening.